And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza on Blaze Radio. Live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. And on that note, we welcome you into another Sunday night here on Blaze Radio. And of course, that always means the college basketball dance alive here from the Bill Austin Radio Studio in downtown Phoenix. My name is Nicholas Hodel. Nick Keneally is alongside me. And it's been a pretty sad week without college basketball, I have to say. It feels like we've been living into the void of just pain and suffering oh, without our favorite sport. So empty. It was so empty. I mean, luckily, there's been a little bit of transfer portal action going on to fulfill us. But a little bit. It's going to be a pretty, pretty long offseason because, man, it's a long it's a long week. It's one a, day yeah. was a while, yeah. or a couple one days ago was a long time ago. Yeah, it's a very long offseason. There's already been a lot of chaos within the transfer portal, and we will get you filled in on that later on this week in your preferred podcast platforms. For now, though, on this Sunday night... We're going to take a moment or about an hour uh, to reflect on this past season, uh, get you our major award winners here uh, at the Bonanza. We like to wait until the postseason is wrapped up uh, to get all of this out of the way, kind of one of our traditions, the week after the NCAA tournament comes to its conclusion. And certainly, some of these awards were pretty easy. Some of them were major head scratchers. I'll, I'll, I'll say that uh, for to be sure. Uh, of course, our National Player of the Year first. We both had our own separate top fives uh, to tabulate uh, the or composite. And we both ended up going different directions, uh, splitting the National Player of the Year among Zach Eady and Jalen Wilson uh, from Purdue and Kansas in particular. You opted for Wilson over Zach Eady. Um, and, and both of these are pretty respectable choices uh, to be the best of the best this year with what both of these guys have done. For Wilson over 20 a game and going into the second round game against Arkansas before Kansas got knocked off. Was a victim of this chaotic tournament. Settled in around eight rebounds a game, a little over eight rebounds per game. Zach Eady was just doing monster stuff all year long down low. Blocking shots like no one else's business. His really tall size and increased mobility saw some easier looks for him inside. And he got a lot better on the offensive end when it came to not getting in foul trouble. Good mobility. He got so much better. And became this dominant presence that you just was really looking for out of Zach Eady. But I'll let you discuss, Jalen Wilson, your thought process. Because uh, I would imagine it was pretty darn close for you. This was a really, really tough one. Probably probably the toughest one for me to pick. But Wilson, I mean, playing in the Big 12, obviously, you know, the toughest conference. They had so many great teams. Every single night was a grind. And he still absolutely shined um, amongst his peers, I mean, if you look at the conference statistics, first in points per game, first for rebounds per game as a wing, um, not even that tall of a player, um, shot really efficient, efficiently, seventh in field goal percentage, even though he took the fifth most field goals in the entire country, and he was still able to do it efficiently. When you mix together that efficiency with that volume, that's really, really hard to stop. He was great on both ends of the floor top 15 in both offensive and defensive plus minus and it really showed uh when he was on the floor kansas really stepped up 
Um, he was nearly the best on on the Jayhawks in every statistical category. I mean, led Kansas to a final 28 and 8 record. They were fourth in the final AP poll. Um, obviously not the back-to-back season that they were hoping for because of a, a, a shortcoming in the, in the national tournament. But Jalen Wilson, um, the way he was able to score for his size, where this was really a year that, you know, dominated by a lot of bigs. Like, you know, you have Zach Eady at the forefront here. You also had some great players that I was thinking of, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, Adama Sanogo. This was a year of really, really big players. And for Jalen Wilson to kind of shine like this, it's absolutely amazing, and I think he was the most skilled player, um, the most you know valuable to his team, and you know the best player in the nation in my eyes. Yeah, and Jalen Wilson, I think the thing that really sticks out for me, I mean, you look at some of these games too, in particular, much Ken's got walked, the Big Twelve tournament final against Texas, and then TCU's just absolute thromping and Allen Fieldhouse. Jalen Wilson still put up really good numbers. He had. 30 at home against TCU in a game which everyone else was just bad. Like, bad. And then still put up 24 in that big Trump tournament final of six boards against Texas. And it's kind of the same thing. Everyone else was just bad for, for his team. And Jalen Wilson kind of kept his team not necessarily alive, but from getting blown up by like 30 or 40 against some of these teams. And then that, that effectiveness he showed, he was the most valuable guy by far away in his team. And that question for Kansas was never about him. It was always about where's the second contributor, the third contributor. Wilson was always there, contributing at an elite level. And something we're going to talk a lot over the, over the summer in particular, once I'm graduated and out of here, you're back home, um, is the guys that make the decision to return to college following going through the NBA draft process can they take what they have learned through that process and grow as a player? Jalen Wilson was one of those guys. He came back to Kansas the last two years after going through the draft process. And he has by far and away improved his game, particularly in this season. And th- this is what the pro-level scouts want to see out of guys. Can they take the advice they get through, the tr- through going through the draft process with the intention of going back to college, which so many guys do nowadays, and can they build on it, and can they improve their game? And Wilson did that. Absolutely. I mean, and it showed with really a bunch of his big performances. You know, he had numerous 30-point games this year. Um, His rebounding was off the charts. There's some great um, advancements in that, and he really jumped up from last season. I mean, he's pretty much guaranteed a lottery pick in the NBA now. That's what a lot of the mock drafts are saying, and that's because of this stellar, stellar year that he had. I mean, he absolutely increased his player stock, um, and for for a great reason, because he was undeniable. Yeah, he has certainly improved his game, uh, really just did what he had to do to ensure he would be in a favorable position. I mean, for, for me, Zach Eady, some of the things he did was just, it was off the charts incredible what he was able to put up. I mean, he was doing stuff that the Big Ten hadn't seen in over 50 years, and that was averaging 22 points and 13 rebounds a game in a year. No one had done that since George McInnes back in the early 70s for Indiana. So, I mean, what this guy was able to do, was it was simply incredible, and you could just tell what he has done the constant improvement over time i mean just simply incredible and you know going into the tournament before they lost to fairleigh dickinson 
I mean, his pace was 800 points, 500 rebounds. I mean, you're talking about Larry Bird, Will Chamberlain kind of numbers from their college days. I mean, what Zach Eady did was simply historic and worthy of being a unanimous national player of the year from all the major honors uh, that came out during that final week of the NCAA tournament. He was simply incredible. And the improvement he had to go through as a basketball player to get to this point is simply remarkable. I mean, the biggest thing was limiting his foul trouble to me. If he, had, if he hadn't improved in that area, there's no way this guy is getting to this point. Absolutely. And, you know, just a, a general improvement that he went through. I mean, last season, it, or the season before, the one we just we just watched, it seemed like, you know, Purdue was really led by Jaden Ivey, obviously. And then Zach Eady was this, you know, he was this really big supporting guy. But, you know, the skills weren't necessarily... Um, fine-tuned he, he was more of just this big guy down in the post but the work that he was able to put in the offseason to turn in turn that that size into skill unbelievable I mean just I I thought Purdue wasn't really headed anywhere this year without Ivy and Zach Eady absolutely made sure that that wasn't the case at all they were one of the best teams in the regular season early bounce in the tournament that tends to happen to Purdue, Purdue quite a bit you can't put that all on ED because he he played magnificently um in the tournament but still just the way that he was able to progress his game was unbelievable and you see a lot of these um these bigs you know they they have a lot of size but where it doesn't come together is you know they're not as coordinated. They can't get the footwork down. The hands aren't there. And the way that Edie was able to kind of go past that kind of stereotype of these oversized, you know, 7'4", seven, 7'5", seven, bigs, unbelievable. I mean, all props to him because amazing, amazing, amazing stuff he was able to pull off. Yeah, it's just simply incredible. Uh, Brandon Miller and Trace Jackson Davis also got significant totals uh, within both of our voting. Uh, Drew Timmy and Dallas Nogo also receiving votes. Uh, as well from one of us within the respective top fives. Uh, into the National Coach of the Year conversation and on points, Jerome Tang has our honor of National Coach of the Year uh, as a first-year head coach in college basketball. This guy took a team that really wasn't projected to do much in the Big 12 and took it to new heights, nearly, nearly to the Final Four. I mean, what Jerome Tang did simply remarkable for the Kansas State Wildcat program and he obviously knew how to coach in the Big 12 with his numerous numerous years at Baylor under Scott Drew building an incredible program there he flies the coop goes to Kansas State goes to the Big 12 clearly knows how to build a Big 12 program clearly knows how to coach too obviously I mean yeah just Really, really impressive stuff from Coach Tang this year. Obviously, you know, stepping up huge uh, for Kansas State. And what an amazing season they had. Um, they really weren't expecting much in them for them to launch themselves to the NCAA tournament, for them to make the kind of noise that they did. Uh, in incredibly impressive. My Coach of the Year uh, pick, that was my other really hard decision. I had Tang up there. Um but I had to go with Bill Self for Kansas, you know, back-to-back -back Kansas picks. Uh, try not to do that. But Coach Self dealt with a lot of health concerns uh, towards the end of the Jayhawks season, which caused him to miss a lot of key games. 
And that included Kansas' huge Big 12 tournament loss against Texas, where his presence was certainly missed. They lost by 20 with all their starters. Self also missed their NCAA tournament loss, where the Jayhawks lost to Arkansas. And the disparity between Kansas' performance with and without Coach Self was extreme. I mean... With him, it felt like they were, you know, they were an unstoppable force. They were one of the best teams to watch in the country. I mean, that that offense, you know, Jalen Wilson, KJ Adams, Kevin McCuller, Grady Dick, they were all clicking in sync when he was there. But when in those games that he missed, it really just didn't seem like they flowed in the same kind of system, you know. It really felt more isolated offense. It went more towards Jalen Wilson in the ISO, which he is a great isolation scorer, but Kansas really performed much better um, under Self because of that type of ball movement. And, you know, I really think that if Coach Self um, was present, um, if he didn't have to deal with those uh, those heart concerns near the end of the season, I, I do think that Kansas could have been well on their way to the first national back-to-back since Florida in 07. I mean, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, but I, I think for that reason... Uh, coach self is a very very great contender for national coach of the year yeah and the conversation with that award around the bill south of the world and you know a lot of the other major coaches that have built themselves as legends within college basketball it's an interesting one because they don't tend to get the same kind of credit as the newer head coaches do for Maybe not the same work because Bill Self already had a talented Kansas team that was expected to be fantastic uh, in the Big 12 at really the same level of excellence. And I, I certainly think Bill Self, you mentioned you mentioned the disparity. I mean, that could almost think of sort of like a most valuable coach mm-hmm. in my eyes. I mean, that that is exactly my definition of a most valuable fill in the blank. I mean, that's exactly my definition of it. You take this player coach out, what does this team look like? And without Bill Self, I think particularly in the Big 12 tournament final, if I'm not mistaken, it was awful. Oh, yeah. 20-point loss. Kansas wasn't efficient at all. They shot, I think, 35% from the field as a team. Just ter- terrible numbers. And out of a lot of a lot of these awards um they're a mixture of you know statistics and narrative but i think coach of the coach of the year award especially is is absolutely a narrative award and it's really just depends on how you look at it what you kind of value um as a i guess avid ball watcher i don't know what you'd call it um but the the narrative uh for you know kansas's year they had a lot of hype going up for this back-to-back um and I I really think that if, if Coach Self didn't go through that, the unfortunate, you know, heart procedures, you know, he, he's all right. He's coming back for more, more Kansas basketball. But I, I think that that was a back-to-back team right there. Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly a team that had that kind of talent. Uh, and again, Mark and Bill Self uh, earning the five points for his first place vote. It's a 5 4 3 2, one system in case... Uh, obviously, they did not make that clear earlier, but for you, for the listener, there you go now. Uh, Shaka Smart ended up second within the overall points. Um, I put Smart at second. You put him at fourth there within your top five. And what he did at Marquette was also very similar to Tang. Didn't quite get the amount of success in the big dance as Tang did, but to take Marquette 
to a Big East regular season title and a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. That is, is simply remarkable stuff. Absolutely. In a conference, you know, you had UConn who went on to win the national tournament, but you had teams, you know, like Providence, Creighton. They were all expected to make huge waves uh, this season, and that really wasn't anticipated of Marquette, but, you know, Shaka Smart, he got his team into shape, and it was incredibly impressive. I really wish we could have seen more of them in the tournament. I mean, they came in as a two seed, kind of kind of overwhelmed or underwhelmed sorry but in the regular season i mean this was an amazing marquette team to watch their offense was it was it was it was art it was beautiful i mean this the entire team was just was great and this i'm excited to see what mark in marquette's future is looking like under coach smart because incredible stuff yeah and and really made it clear that in case you didn't see what he did at vcu (laughs) <laughs> His system works. It works at the A-10. It works now in the power level. I mean, this is what Shaka Smart does. And perhaps the expectation level of Texas was a bit too much for him. So it goes to Marquette and does an absolute wonder of a job. I mean, it's a simply remarkable job uh, that Shaka Smart did in a Big East that, like you mentioned, Creighton was expected to be that top team. UConn was... The top team in the non-conference play, one of the top teams, fell off in the Big East regular season. But when the non-conference points came in once again, they run, they run, they run ramshot right over the cross. Every team they faced, even though it was an easier road uh, compared to some other previous champions in the past. And like you mentioned, Providence, they also had a really solid team. Xavier was also a pretty darn team themselves mm-hmm. and for Shaka Smart to lead Marquette to the promising of a Big East regular season title get them over the hump and then that category that's remarkable simply remarkable for a program like Marquette and it, it really only makes you believe that that next step is getting that Marquette team to be primed in March to where the system doesn't fold for one game and you get that team consistently clicking into March I think that's the next big goal there for Shaka Smart and as long as he does able to do that, goodness knows where the limit is. I mean, if he's able to keep the recruiting up and keep this up, you could be looking at a really, really bright future uh, for Shaka Smart at Marquette and lock down a Big East job that is becoming very, very rare to find nowadays with the amount of great coaches in the Big East. And I also think that's a big credit as well to Shaka Smart for him to rise above all the other coaches from McDermott to Miller, Xavier, who came in. I mean, Dan Hurley at UConn, uh, now a national champion coach. And and you add in Rick Pitino next year and some of these other great coaches, Ed Cooley moving within the conference. I mean, the coaching in the Big East is ridiculous. Uh, and, and I think Big East schools will probably have coaches of the year more often than not over the next, like, five years or so because of how deep the, national, the coaching picture is in the Big East. And it's risen to a nationally elite coaching conference. And it's only fitting that Shaka Smart is well high within our particular tabulations as well. Uh, I did give a third place under Dusty May. We'll talk a little bit more about Dusty May in a little bit within the mid-major ranks. Uh, Kelvin Sanson ended up rounding up both of our top fives. And I also put Painter in my top five in the fourth thought as well, as I thought for Painter and Purdue... This was not something that Purdue was expected to achieve with freshman guards in the regular season. What Purdue was able to accomplish. It obviously came back to bite them, that inexperience in the backcourt. It came back to bite them really hard uh, come tournament time. And I think Pater made some 
really bad calls against a smaller team um, in that first round game. But over the course of the regular season, Purdue was really good, really good in the Big Ten. And it was something that perhaps, I mean, I wasn't sure if I expected that. I know many people did not expect Purdue to be as good as it was in the regular season. They showed it in November in an MTE, and they carry it through until March. Man, that's exactly what you have to do, and you get to get Matt Painter so much credit for building a freshman backcourt that turned out really darn good in Big Ten regular season play. Now, again, that next step, I think, is to get more experience back there and really have some good pieces to work with. But, again, a fantastic coaching job, I thought, for Matt Painter. National Freshman of the Year. Very uniform. <laughs> Of course, we both have Brandon Miller in the top spot for obvious reasons, not the controversy reasons. His play in the court, of course, what we're talking about there, and it was truly, truly phenomenal. Uh, just to kind of uh, focus in on Miller, he brought it almost every single night. Every single night almost, with the exception of the first round game in the NCAAs. Uh, the game at Houston, he wasn't a huge contributor uh, his overall lack of efficiency in the tournament cost Alabama big time, particularly in the Sweet 16 game. That's how important Brandon Miller was to this Alabama team, is that when he got off his game and started being not efficient, this team was instantly in trouble. That is most valuable. That is not, and his performance backs it up as a national freshman of the year. He's going to go on to the NBA. He's going to be terrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the immediate impact that he had for Alabama was incredible i mean top 10 in pretty much every statistical category in the sec you know led the conference in points per game threes win shares box plus like every not just the the scoring the way that he was able to put the ball um in the basket but also the impact that he had for his team when he was on the floor offensively and defensively incredible this is insane stuff to see for a player, any player, let alone a freshman, led Alabama to the number one rank in the final AP poll. I mean, he's a guaranteed top five pick in the draft for a reason. Because the way the way he was able to just step into this system and immediately go hands-on and score at will in a very, very tough SEC where, you know, there's some great defensive teams out here. You know, he had to go up against Tennessee a whole lot and Arkansas a whole lot. The way that he was able to do it with what it seemed what seemed like ease was incredible. I, he had a 41-point performance this season. We, we've had, you know, other players that, you know, put up 30 a couple times like the Jalen Wilsons and the Zach Eadies. Brandon Miller had a 41-point performance near the end of the season in the midst of some controversies and he was able to just remain you know mind on the court and absolutely ball out and i mean it's undisputed there were some great freshmen this year of course but it's undisputed that brandon miller was the prestige freshman in the nation yeah and it's it's a pretty easy selection because of just how much he meant to alabama over the course of the year uh the impact he brought to to the to the tide uh truly historic uh, for that program, for a guy like Brandon Miller to come in and just run 
a completely dominant performance throughout the season on the SEC. Uh, a truly terrific player now. But NBA draft stock, it, it kind of depends on just how much stock the NBA scouts and uh, organizations take into the controversy around him uh, with the incident. Um from a while back that, that had the whole nation talking about him with the, with the uh, unfortunate assist he gave to a very unfortunate tragedy. Um, how much stock the NBA organization is taking to that, we'll have to see what ends up happening there. But, you know, if, if that wouldn't have happened, he's probably the leading candidate to be the top college player taken out of this draft. Obviously, Wimbenyana is going to be number one. I think everyone knows that. Depending on where you put Scoot Henderson, I mean, he's certainly a player that's up there as well. But Brandon Miller, I thought, and won the college pool, is right up there when one of the best of the best. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, he's projected th- from that three to five spot. I mean, obviously below Wemby and Scoot, then it, it depends on where Amen and Ozar Thompson get picked. But, you know, those are other G League players. Brandon Miller was the elite player to come out of college. And looking at how, you know, the NBA and a lot of these professional leagues are very money driven. The amount of money that Brandon Miller would bring to any team, I really think that this type of incident isn't going to affect his draft stock much. I mean, there's a lot of athletes that, you know, have been in these unfortunate kind of situations, but, you know, teams kind of look past that for money. So I really don't think that this will affect his stock at all. Um, but, you know, I mean, they're just going to look at his on court performances pretty much and. The on-court performances he had were incredible, unmatched. I mean, just what a season for Brandon Miller. Yeah, and it is yet to be determined just how much stock the NBA takes into that controversy compared to some NFL organizations with other controversies in the drafts in the past. Uh, but certainly for Brandon Miller, he's an elite talent. Um, just whether the NBA wants to dock him down because of the controversy or not, he remains an elite, elite talent. Uh, a couple other players with their consensus top three, Grady Dick at two, Kyle Filipowski in the third position. For Grady Dick, you know, he had his great moments of being that number two guy. And you just have the feeling that if Kansas was going to get back to the Final Four, I mean, Dick was going to have to be the guy to get them there. Not necessarily Wilson. I think everyone knew his uh, talent would get them there. But they always needed that second contributor and Grady Dick, whenever they had that second guy, more likely than not, he was the guy for Kansas. And his performance was truly remarkable um, in a lot of different facets uh, The for him. One of those players that you instantly recognize in the court, not necessarily because of his name, a lot of it's because of his name, um, uh-huh. but... At the, at the same time, you, you get a player who can be prolific at times from deep. He had his moments of rough shooting, and I think that's going to happen to a lot of freshmen. Uh, but he had some terrific moments throughout the season where he shined amongst everyone. Truly a, a remarkable player here. I mean, yeah, he was one of the most versatile freshman in this year i mean countless performances where he put up you know 26 24 25 points you know he had great rebounding performances um as he kind of you know functioned as a taller guard um he had some great playmaking performances he racked up steals in some game you know he had a a couple five steal performances i mean grady dick did it all and 
I feel like if this was a a league without Brandon Miller, this would undoubtedly be the freshman of the year. Brandon Miller was incredible, so obviously the award's going to go to him, but this is not at all a slight towards Grady Dick. The way that he was able to perform this year um, for this Kansas team, that was sloped for another great run behind you know, Coach Self and Jalen Wilson. He absolutely played his role. Um, and even even down to that last game against Arkansas, I mean, this is definitely a player that was affected by um, Coach Self missing games. He played not anywhere near himself in the games he missed, like the the last game of the season against Texas where Self missed. Grady Dick scored six points in that in that last conf- or national tournament game. He scored seven points, but. I mean, when the system was set up right, when Self was there, Grady Dick was unstoppable. Um, he was he meant so much for the Kansas system, and absolutely just played his role perfectly. He didn't need to be the main scoring guy, but he stepped it up when it was needed. And just what a season for Grady Dick! Yeah, certainly the case. A terrific, terrific uh, player. Real quickly on uh, Kyle Filipowski. Really just was a key factor for this Duke team was the ACC tournament MVP. Started off real hot as the first player in the conference's rich history and tradition to open a year with four consecutive Rookie of the Week honors. Uh, had double devils galore, led all freshmen with 16 of those. Just a terrific, consistent score inside. Duke needed that inside, he, and he brought the size. He brought great rebounding. Truly a player you could rely on as a freshman to get the job done uh, for Duke really all throughout the year. I thought he was a terrific watch, and Duke kind of fell because of some other things, uh, but Filipowski was not one of them. He was a truly terrific player, just real briefly on his on his excellence. I mean, in a in a freshman class for Duke, which was really highly anticipated, Filipowski seemed like he was really the only one to live up um, to the hype and get incredible score inside. Um, yeah, he was able to stretch the floor out uh, for Duke at times, which is always a big plus as a seven-footer. Um, his rebounding was incredible. I mean, his rebounding really carried Duke's um, Duke for them in the in the interior. But he meant so much to this Duke program. I don't; they wouldn't have been that that five seed um, that they were without his performances this year. Uh, really meaningful for this team. And he he was more of a player that consistently filled up the same exact role every single night as opposed to a player like Grady Dick who would have these kind of shining performances every once in a while where he, he'd jump out with a great scoring performance. Filipowski did this every night. I mean, there were stretches where for 10 games he would score between 15 and 19 points. I mean, he was doing it all. And he would jump out for 29 points against Virginia Tech, 28 points against Pitt, but... It's what he brought you on a night-to-night basis is why he was so highly celebrated for the Blue Devils. Yeah, he was truly fantastic. Uh, Keontae George earned top five votes for both as well. Anthony Black and Jalen Hutch-Safino earned a fourth-place vote from each of us. Over to our national transfer of the year. This is an award I think should be an actual award and not just an award we're making up <laughs> because with the way the portals become, can someone please build a trophy? Can we please get a Naismith transfer of the year? Because I, I promise you, it, it's well needed with 
two years of 1700 plus transfers and this year certainly trending that direction i i feel like it's needed between the grad transfers the first time transfers and We'll see if the NCAA is actually going to walk the walk on us talking about limiting second time transfers. This needs to be an actual award, period. And if it were an actual award that goes into the record books, Kendrick Davis would have won this hands down. Mm-hmm. Hands down. Absolutely. Both of our uh, transfers of the year. I mean, he brought the score he, from SMU and then some to this Memphis program. And last year, you just had the sense that this guy would be the guy uh, from the transfer portal to make the biggest impact. And boy, was every single one of those assumptions proven right, and then some. This guy was a machine. I mean, led the American in both points per game and assists per game. You know, that's really hard to do. If you're scoring the ball and facilitating playmaking for your team at such a high rate, that's incredibly impressive. Eighth in the nation for points per game. He was one of the most impactful and beneficial players in the country um, and to do that in his first year in the program, uh, this is uh, a player in his fifth year of eligibility, and for him to step in with that veteran presence and lift up Memphis in a year where, I mean, yeah, they weren't expected to be the best team in the American because obviously Houston's there, but you know they they were expected to kind of hang around that that top three, top four area, and it, it, he really just drove it home for Memphis. What he was able to bring them on the floor was incredible. What he was able to bring them off the floor with, you know, those four prior years of college basketball experience. He'd played three years before in, in the American with SMU, a year before that with TCU as a freshman. Um, so meaningful, uh, especially for a Memphis team that, you know, seemed kind of in a transitional year. The year before that, they had tried that experiment with Amani Bates, Jalen Duran. It didn't necessarily pan out extremely well. Um, so this was really a, a new team where they kind of handed Kendrick Davis the ropes. And that was absolutely the best decision they could have made, trusting Davis in his first year with Memphis. And he was absolutely incredible. I mean, so such a shout-out for him. Yeah, the perfect example of a player... Uh, using his grad transfer eligibility wisely. I mean, this is a perfect example right here, Kendrick Davis. He will be missed in college basketball. He he stepped up his playmaking. He stepped up his scoring. I mean, you, I mean, his shooting numbers percentage-wise took a bit of a dip, but he remained ever so consistent. I mean, I mean just a truly phenomenal player uh, in every right. And I don't know if he'll get a shot overseas or in the NBA, but he's a he's a bona fide scorer, and and that's what the NBA wants all the time, bona fide scorer. So he will definitely have an opportunity if he gets one. He should absolutely take it, and he and I trust he will take full advantage of it. Keontae Johnson ended up as our second place guy, and you want to talk about a bona fide comeback player of the year after everything he went through with the the collapse of the court at Florida having to take so much time to get back to basketball healthy. I mean, and then this guy at Kansas State pops off for just an incredible performance uh, on a nightly basis for Kansas State. Keontae Johnson was tremendous in every sense of the word. And given everything he had been through, that makes it even more impressive. I mean, he became one of the best stories in all of college basketball uh, with his comeback season at Kansas State. I mean, yeah, not only was he able to come back, but he was able to come back as such a strong player. I mean, it really shined 
um, in the tournament. You know, him catching that big lob, lob from Marquise Noel and maybe the most replayed uh, play uh, from the tournament. He was absolutely incredible. Um, the way, you know, not, I mean, accounting for um, the collapse that he had, but even that aside, having a 17 uh, point per game season uh, in his first year in the Big 12, just so incredible. Um, really just an amazing score above the rim player. Um, and the way he was able to overcome that adversity makes him college basketball legend here. Yeah, certain, I mean, certainly. I mean, just the way he was able to perform on the court. I mean, he had to take so much time out to, to recover. I mean, just from his heart. I mean, obviously, but, you know, to get back to basketball activities, it took him a long, long time. And you certainly have to respect a guy who comes back and does, and does that kind of performance. I mean, truly an amazing, amazing run. Uh, you also ranked uh, Tyrese Hunter very, very highly uh, amongst your top five and was certainly a player who brought nightly performances uh, for Texas. Some a lot better than others, uh, but he certainly was a key contributor for that Texas team who really, really performed. I loved both of Miami's key transfers, both Norchad O'Meara and Nigel Pack. I mean, you want to talk about a program that might have set a really dangerous precedent for the future of college sports. What John Luis did with Norchad O'Meara and specifically Nigel Pack by being open about the NII deal, NIL deals he was given both of them, not just being open, but almost being flamboyant about it. <laughs> and for the and for these two players in particular, yes, Isaiah Wong and Wuga Popular, his emergence, they both play a huge role in this too. But for No Channel Mirror and for and Nigel Pack to take starring roles on a final four run, that sets one of the most dangerous precedents in 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 the history of college athletics that not even from an annual perspective let's make this one let's make this one thing clear these athletes deserve to be paid period but now you're talking about this precedent of schools seeing Miami's performance throughout a great two weeks which is what college basketball success is measured by a three-week <laughs> tournament that everyone loves you see this present it's, it's it's really dangerous really dangerous um i think other programs i mean they may try to fall for the slippery slope and watch out college athletics if that happens but for but just for omir and pack that's a deep conversation for another show at another time uh but for nigel pack and nor chad omir both of these guys were just absolutely excellent nigel pack coming from kansas state had a really good scoring run Picked it up a little bit raw assist numbers, not quite assists per game, but he still had a terrific run of things, a terrific go, um, was a great, great shooter, really in all of his uh, college years. No Chad O'Meara from Arkansas State, you had the hint that this would happen because, just because of how good he was as the Sunbelt Player of the Year in 21-22. He steps up and because absolutely fantastic uh, at Miami uh, in the ACC. He averaged a double-double. I mean, he was not afraid of the big time. Was third-team All-ACC, but really in, in the NCAA tournament, he played like one of the best bigs in the entire conference. He was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and again, for Nigel Pack, was the Midwest region most outstanding player. He played absolutely brilliant 
for Miami. And it's like a bit of a scoring hit, really only because the backcourt around him was so fantastic with Isaiah Wong and Luba Popular. He really emerged fantastically uh, in the NCAA tournament. But both of these players, I mean, Miami, I mean, from the start, it's, I mean, you thought Miami, or at least I had a good hunch, Miami's transfer collapse was one of the best in the country. And when it came time to step up in March, they did it. They did it brilliantly, and they deserve it. Uh, both of them being my top five. I also had Baylor Sharman in there as well. I thought within the three games of Creighton I saw in person this year, one in Vegas and two in Denver, Sharman was fantastic. I mean, he made that jump from the Summit League to the big time and was a terrific powerhouse kind of player. You also have them in your top five as well. We'll wrap it up with a couple of uh, crucial mid-major awards. You love to do this for the mid-major ranks. Um, kind of put the, sh uh, the uh, spotlight on them. Uh, and in the case of uh, Antoine Davis at Detroit Mercy, he deserves all the spotlight uh, as a, just a, a, an unbelievable player. Just an unbelievable score at the mid-major level. He never wavered. This is a player who could have easily made an impact at a power conference level. But he never wavered from Detroit Mercy. Never wavered to the connections he had there. Um, unreal player. And... Well, well, I'll spare the conversation of you know Detroit Mercy scoring record, CB, uh, CB, um, CBI, and that's not the place for this. But you look at a player who has become one of the most decorated players in the history of the Horizon League, if not the most, based on his college uh, portfolio, a five-time first-team All-Conference player. Try to find me another player who has that in the same conference. I mean, I mean it's going to be a very hard look because I cannot recall that um, in the history of college basketball. Five-time first-team all-conference in the same conference? That is unheard of. I mean, he holds the NCAA record in, in double-figure scoring games. He holds the NCAA record in three-pointers. I mean, just an unbelievable player. Just one of the one of the best scorers in the history of college basketball. I mean, he led the nation in points per game by nearly five whole points at 28.2 points per game. That's numbers that you're starting to see in the NBA where they have, you know, 48-minute games. Not 40-minute games, 48-minute games with a much shorter shot clock. This type of performance this year, and, you know, you've seen it year by year for him with Detroit Mercy absolutely incredible i mean he led the nation in points produced by almost a hundred over you know some kind of random guy named drew timmy he was incredible this year and throughout his of course campaign with detroit mercy but antoine davis he was the premier score i mean and this is a mid-major scope where you also have max amos another player that people always talk about as your premier scorer. I mean, Jordan Walker led the nation in scoring a lot, but Antoine Davis, he kept it going the entire season where a couple other players, you know, Jordan Walker, he kind of wavered uh, towards the end of the year. Antoine Davis never really did that. I mean, he kind of heightened his performance as the season went on, especially towards the end of the regular season where he started putting up 42 points, 41 points, really chasing that record incredible stuff i mean just incredible i don't think there was another player in all of mid-major basketball 
that could have gotten hot like that. Yeah, it's a shame that Detroit Mercy never quite put the pieces together around him to build a team that could go in the Horizon League tournament as chaotic as it is every year and then get Antoine Davis to the NCAAs. It's a shame that never happened because he would have killed in the NCAAs. Very similar to Max Asmus. I mean, you put Antoine Davis to the NCAAs, watch out. I mean, that's going to be one of the biggest missed opportunities, I think, on all of mid-major basketball. Uh, just not getting a chance to see him play in the big time uh, in the NCAA tournament. I think it's a big shame for him, um, not just for scoring record purposes, but for just for him. He's a player that absolutely deserves his chance to shine in the big stage. For me, Darius McGee um, is one of those guys as well that she's, he was just tremendous. I mean, really, the only he had his very few games of just missed opportunity. Uh, it's a shame that one of them came on the biggest of stages. Um, in the A-Sun final at Kennesaw State, I mean, he chose a bad time to have one of his worst three-point shooting games in his college career, 0 of 11. I mean, he chose an absolutely bad time for that. Uh, but really, outside of that, I mean, the last two seasons, he has been tremendous. I mean, he has been absolutely tremendous. And when he came back uh, for this year and he announced that, you know, I just had that feeling of this guy is stupid good. I thought at that point Liberty was going to go back to the tournament. didn't happen because of the incredible coaching job uh, out of Kennesaw State. Uh, but he was truly an incredible player for Liberty. And throughout his five years, he, he turned into a six-man, then an everyday starter for four years. Truly an unbelievable talent, um, Darius McGee. Certainly he will be missed at the college level uh, just with the amount of good records that he has within school history. Um, just the incredible numbers he has, just a simply unreal performer uh, at the mid-major level. Uh, Jordan Walker, uh, another player who received a lot of votes from uh, each of us. I mean, for UAB, I mean, Conference USA had a ton of these players. Uh, and Jordan Walker, Jolly Walker, uh, as his nickname is now and has become pretty commonly known as, uh, for him, also in his fifth college year, you look at two consecutive years of 20-plus points a game at UAB, taking a step down from the American, but certainly a good step for him because he was just an unreal player. Got to shine the NIT throughout that entire run for the Blazers before falling to North Texas and the Orleans. A truly fantastic player. And one of those players, again, he'll be missed. A lot of these good stars at the mid-major level I mean, you expect the guys who they kind of shy at the mid-major level and they prefer to stay there. And that's really the case there. Now, Max Zaysman's in the transfer portal. He's going to get a power opportunity, and he's going to make the most of it. I truly believe that. We, he was both our uh, second um, place uh, mid-major player of the year. I mean, he's going to shine on the biggest of stages. He's going to. He's done it twice Royal Roberts. One was a lot more successful than the other, uh, but he is still a, fa a phenomenal player and certainly can't wait to see what he's able to put together on the big, big stage there. Mid-major coach of the year. We have split off between Dusty May of FAU and Amir Abdul-Rahim of Kennesaw State, who will be going to South Florida um, next season. But Dusty May, meanwhile, he took a 10-year contract extension with FAU. <laughs> Uh, and a move that I applaud because this means that FAU means serious ball going to the American, putting commitment behind the guy that took them to the Final Four. 
this is usually a case, and a guy like Dusty May, this is usually a case where you see a big performance like this, a big, big major run, you just assume he's off. He's off for the power conference land, and maybe at some point in these next 10 years, the same will happen to Dusty May. But for right now, they put a lot of commitment and one of the best coaching jobs in all of college basketball what Dusty May was able to put together. An unreal coach. <laughs> the perfect guy for FAU. Absolutely. That's undeniable with the Final Four run that he was able to make with FAU. With a team that really wasn't expected that much of at the beginning of the season for him to take them all the way to the promised land. Um, I'm Not necessarily all the way, but take them all the way to Houston was incredible but I, i'm taking a slightly different approach obviously going with coach amir abdul or abdul rahim for kennesaw state a couple seasons back in his first coaching season this is an owls team that had one singular win in the entire season in the 2019 to 2020 season couple years later they have an ncaa tournament bid it's a crazy turnaround one of the craziest turnarounds i've ever seen in all of sports, that was steadily progressing year by year. You know, you know, from one win to eight to thirteen to the twenty-six. I believe that they won this year. Twenty-six and eight. Twenty-six and eight record 20, for them. Yeah, twenty-six and nine. Or twenty-six. The NCAA tournament. But just an incredible turnaround for them. Kennesaw State was a an amazing team to watch this year. Um, really sad that we didn't get to see. Uh, more of them from the tournament as they as they got put into the the 14 seed tough matchup against Xavier where they they only lost by five against one of the premier programs in the country. This was a great uh, team to watch. I mean the way he was able to coach that system, Chris Youngblood, Toro Burden, uh, just bring out the scoring prowess of those two. Um, it has to just be applauded the way that. He was able to turn around a, a team that used to be one of, you know, the worst teams in the country, you know, bottom of Ken Palm type of team, and take them to the top of the A-Sun, 26 wins in a season, 15-3 and three in a conference record. That's, that's unbelievable stuff right there. Greatest and fastest turnaround in the history of college basketball. I mean, that's what it boils down to. I mean, Kennesaw State... It wasn't just 1920 when this team was bad. It was almost every year. This team was horrible. And for this coach who have taken this program to heights beyond imagination in just four years, that's an unbelievable feat, truly remarkable, uh, from this coach who will be off to the American, well-deserved for him. He gets a chance to build South Florida uh, in a much tougher situation against better programs. But certainly a coach that made his mark in an absolute positive way and one who will be very much missed in the ace sun at Kennesaw State. Quickly discussing the sixth man of the year, we both have Shirtabari Rice out of Texas. Another consistent guy. Um, Texas really needed the spark off the bench and they got on a near nightly basis some Shirtabari Rice. I mean, he, and he got better and better as the year goes on too. I mean, that's the most impressive thing. I mean, geez, he just got better and better and better. And you compare him to someone like Javon Quinterly, who was both of our uh, second-place guys. I mean, they both kind of got better as the season come, came along. 
But Sherboy Rice has had a different feel to him. I mean, he was terrific. I mean, yeah, coming from New Mexico State in his first year um, with this Texas program, he stepped in and was able to make an immediate impact off the bench. Um, uh, kept going throughout the entire year, especially in the tournament, in the uh, national tournament where he was putting up, you know, 23 points off the bench against Colgate, 13 against Penn State, 16 against Xavier, and 15 in that Elite Eight loss against Miami. These were crazy, crazy numbers and not the same amount of minutes that, you know, you see these other players that put up these types of numbers. He was doing this in a lot less. Um, just the spark that he was able to provide the Longhorns off the bench was incredible i mean you, you talk a lot of about of these these you know power conference teams that they they make it really far because they have great starters but you know they don't really have that bench depth serge Barry right he was the the definition of bench depth here i mean six man of the year by far in my mind javon quinterly was great um in his own right but rice the way that he was able to keep it up for almost the entire year i mean it was very rare you saw a sub double digit performance from him was Incredible. Yeah, certainly. And again, I mean, th- those two players, I think, were the cons- or, or, they are the consensus two in our minds. I mean, it should have been the consensus two nationally, just the way they were able to uh, do things off the bench. And not just off the bench, uh, but really not out- hardly ever elevating to that starting rotation. I mean, you, mean, you see so many six man of the year candidates at the college level have a lot more starts than those two have. I mean, they. They got their shot, both of them, at the end of the year in the starting rotation. But really, most of their uh, contributions came off the bench the whole year. And, you know, some of these other players, I mean, having, like, double the starts as the two guys that we mentioned as the clear-cut guys. I mean, yeah, Quinterly didn't start a single game until the conference tournament for Alabama. He, didn't, he started zero games in the regular season. That's that's incredible stuff there. Um, and, you know, in those elevated minutes, he was able to really shine um, especially in that in that uh, national game against Maryland where he put up 22 points. His efforts really came to fruition. I mean, grinding it out all year on the bench. Um, this is, you know, a couple years into his tenure at Alabama, he's kind of in a different situation than Rice, who was in his first year with Texas. I mean, this is a player that, you know, saw uh, minutes drop from the past, but he's still stayed consistent he still stayed with it and meant so much off the bench yeah truly a uh, a really really good performance um from from all from really all of the six men of the year that we we put up in between uh reese dixon waters as well mm-hmm. his performance usd was great david joplin at marquette was a key part off the bench for the most part from that marquette run uh you mentioned antonio reese quite a bit out of kentucky for his good performance uh, i had uh, brooks barnheiser out of northwestern who had a lot of key contributions off the bench for that team uh and it's a key for every team you, know, you gotta find those guys off the bench and really all of those teams uh, within those players have that and within their own respective right. Our after-party episodes will return this week. Major transfer portal discussion show there. Um, I have my own separate rankings. Um, we'll discuss really all of that uh, within the midweek on your preferred podcast platforms. But, you know, as for you, Nick, um, obviously not going anywhere in the next few weeks. Obviously, you'll, you'll still be on the show, but within the studio here in Phoenix, is this the last time for you? And, you know, 
I, I think really for me, um, just being in the studio with, with you this year has been really a fantastic blessing. It really kept the bananas alive my senior year, uh, which I appreciate far, uh, far far beyond. But, I mean, you're, you're good to go on, and I think you'll do some pretty good things, whether, whether for you back at home in California, whether you decide to come back, because he is going to uh, take a chance for himself. Uh, but, I mean, certainly the opportunities are endless for you, my man. I appreciate that. You know, it's been an honor. It's been a blessing being a part of the show, uh, being a part of Blaze Radio. I mean, such a great program here. Uh, blessing to come in here in the Bill Austin Radio Studio every week. It's been, it's been a blessing. It truly has been. So, I appreciate the kind words. And you know, it's 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 been a really fun ride. So, a couple weeks ago, obviously, you know, not done with the bonanza, the transfer portal talk. You know, this will continue, but. You know, last time here in this Bill Austin studio for the foreseeable future. Yeah, you're, you're, dude, you're, you're foreshadowing my sadness that's going to come in. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, gosh. It's going to be even worse for me. Oh. <laughs> sadness. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll get Nick in through Zoom in the next couple of weeks here within our live shows. Uh, and of course, one more in-person show remains for you this week. Within our midweek, got the privilege will return uh, to your preferred podcast platform this week. Uh, and that will wrap things up from us this week here from the Bill Austin Radio Studio. For Nick Canelli, I'm Nicholas Hodel. Wishing you. Uh, a fantastic rest of your week and hoping you'll join us on your preferred podcast platforms later on this week when we discuss some of the top transfer portal players in the country. For now, for our live listeners here on BlazeFreeOnline.com, there's one shouting, Mo, have a very good week, everyone.